First Chronicles 29:11. Hear the word of the Lord. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Let's pray. Father, oh my goodness, um, I pray that today that you will take this sack lunch of a message and that you will break it as you did on the seashore so many years ago with the little boy's sack lunch. You turned that into a feast. Would you take um, these meager preparations and do the same today? I don't know if John Wheat feels the same way in regards to his message, but I'm asking God that you would bless him at Trinity Baptist Church uh, as together the disciples there listen and are challenged by your word as he presents it. Thank you for the opportunity that we have um, in this community to, um, to work alongside and to work with and to lift up uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who love you and want so much to see the lost connected to the saving Christ. We ask us humbly in his name and everyone said, Amen. Three ugly words. It's tax season. <laughs> And I was um, needing some information about how to make a deposit to my health savings account. And so I dialed the company that uh, has our account and was requesting a deposit form. And I was greeted by Automated Annie. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for calling Chase, your best choice for HSA accounts. For quality assurance, this call may be recorded. Anybody here met Automated Annie? Okay. Yes, my forefathers had to deal with horse-drawn plows. And yes, my forefathers had to deal with outhouses and song interruption on eight-track tapes. But they did not have to deal with the Bermuda Triangle of Technology. Automated Annie. Press 1 for new accounts. Press 2 for account balances. Press 3 if you do not know your account balance, but can type in the name of any of Donald Trump's cabinet members. And press 4 if you have the IQ of a snail and simply must speak to a representative. Grr. <laughs> uh, since I have the IQ of a snail, I punched four, and I was put on hold. <laughs> Your call will be answered in the order that it was received. The current wait time is two days, three hours, and eight minutes. True story. Then I was greeted by the melodic sounds of Inya. Oh, yeah, what a way to spend the next two days. I don't know about you, but I find it a joy when I make a phone call of any kind and there's a human on the other end. Even you guys. I get more answering machines and stuff than I do an actual human on the other end of a phone call these days. Is it just me or does human interaction seem to have gone the way of the panda? Human connections aren't extinct, but they definitely qualify for the endangered lists. Amen. Vanishing, I think, are the days when at least small talk could be counted on. You guys remember the times when you went to fill up your tank or deposited a check or bought a gift with the help of a sales clerk? Now you gas up and you do it with a credit card. No interaction with anybody. Now you make deposits online, or you get a gift on Amazon, or what's growing in popularity, <laughs> groceries online. 
It's going to get to where before long you will not need to see or touch another human being in an entire week for anything. Now, I don't know about you. I don't call much of that progress. I really don't. But I do see in it an opportunity for the Lord's church. Because call us a fast society or call us efficient, but one of the things you cannot call America is personal in a lot of ways. Now you would think with all of the friending that's going on and the Snapchatting and the tweeting and all the Facebooking and all the Instagramming that is at record highs, all of that might take the place of face-to-face and skin-to-skin and person-to-person contact, right? I mean, we're communicating like nobody's business. Problem is, we're not connecting hardly at all. Forbes magazine said as much in 2015 when it conducted a survey which suggested as social media engagement increases, so does anxiety attacks, depression, and suicide. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in our mantra, fast becoming, I'll leave you alone if you'll leave me alone. Okay? On behalf of God, not okay. Not okay. For the next couple of weeks, church, I want to encourage you to give some serious thought to something that I think the the Bible underscores in triplicate. We are going to touch people. We're going to touch people on behalf and in the name of Jesus Christ. Because what was said in Genesis is still true today. It is not good for people to be alone. Amen? And God is going to show us that our home, here's where I see the opportunity, our home is the place where we can connect with people better than maybe any other place on the globe. That's why the title of this series is Home Depot, Discipleship Central. The world can go the way of computers, the world can go the way of keyboards, the world can go the way of touchscreens, but we're going to touch people. That's what we've been called to. And in this series, I hope to remind you of the amazing potential. Believe it or not, because some of you will not believe this today, but hopefully it will grow on you. Believe it or not, the amazing potential you have for leading people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus Christ through your home and your hospitality. I am grateful for the tool that we have in this incredible building that God has blessed us with. Not many homes could have hosted the 60 people for Liddell's memorial service yesterday. Even fewer have a kitchen and a fellowship area large enough for cooking and feeding over 30 people. Couldn't have done that in my house very well. I'm grateful for a place that this building gives us to gather at times like this so that we could sing together, all of us, so that we could uh, break bread together, all of us, so that we could hear Hopefully, a challenge from God's Word, all of us together at one time. I can't believe the tool sometimes as I walk through this facility that God has blessed us with, with its baptistries and its offices and its classroom areas. One of the things that that just caused me to, to drop my jaw when I walked on campus here was just how well done this tool has been put together for the work of the Lord. 
But I want you to hear me clearly. The tool that God underscores that is best for maturing and growing disciples and is best for making disciples isn't this building. It's our homes. In John chapter 4, Jesus is going to have a discussion with a lady that uh, was desperately lost. She has five failed marriages, and the man that she is now with wears the title of lover, but not husband. And when he offers her a relationship with God that will quench the thirst of her soul like no man can, the transparency she feels with this man in the conversation gets a little bit much. And so she tries to stiff-arm Jesus a little bit and back him up with a religious discussion about where to go to church. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is a place where people must worship. And Jesus replied, believe me, woman, the time is coming when neither in Jerusalem nor on this mountain will you actually worship the Father. You Samaritans worship something that you don't understand. We worship what we, we understand what we worship because salvation comes from the Jews. The time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and that time is already here. See, the Father, too, is actively seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, church, that text deserves some unpacking in a lesson another day all by itself. But please see this morning, Jesus is making a point. Holy spot worship is on the way out. Holy spirit-led worship is on the way in. Place worship is on the way out. Personal worship of the deepest kind in spirit and in truth is on the way in. And sure enough, that drastic change became complete in AD 70 when the holiest of all holy buildings was absolutely destroyed, the temple. The holiest building God's people would ever erect, would ever construct, was destroyed at least for the third time. And no instructions on Jesus' part or on the apostles' part or any writer of Scripture's part ever suggest that a building was needed to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never. Because worship central was not in a building. Listen to me. It was in a home. All the believers were together and had everything in common, Luke writes. They sold their possessions and their goods and they gave to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now three chapters later, Luke is going to remind his reader, Theophilus, how significant, again, this home is becoming in addition to the temple that existed still but was about to be destroyed. Every day in the temple... People's, and in people's homes, they continue teaching the people and telling the good news that Jesus Christ saves. Now, those references to the home could be just everything that the Lord says about how significant it is to us connecting people to the, to the incredible, powerful message of the cross. 
But even with the most casual reading of the New Testament, you can't miss that the home is a primary tool both for the church then and for us now to reach out to our neighbor. Notice what Paul says to a brother of his, Philemon. Oh, how'd it go? Y'all went backwards. Are y'all helping me up there? Yeah, you're helping me. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, and to the church that meets, say the words, in your house. Let's do that. Let's do a bit. To Philemon and our beloved friend and fellow laborer, and to the church that meets in. Thank you. Next scripture. From Ephesus, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord, with the church that is in their house. One more. Greet the brothers and sisters in Laodicea, and greet Nympha and the church that meets in her house. The home was discipleship central. <laughs> oh, not doing good with this today, guys. So I'll, I'll tell you what. Am I pointing and it's not working and y'all are? Okay, all right. Thank you. I didn't know if I was doing this or that was. Okay, thank you. We're just dancing here, all right? You know, one, two, three, one, two, three. Now, let me get back to the notes here. Discipleship central for the early church. As a matter of fact, is a matter of fact. Not just a preacher's comment, but I really want to challenge you. Those of us who grew up in um, command, example, and necessary inference language, go back and look from Matthew to Revelation to see all that God has to say about the significance of a building and compare that with all he has to say about the significance of a home. What's the point in all this? Um, is it that we want to get rid of our building? Don, no. We're just about ready to pay this thing off. I've not said any of this this morning to try to discourage us from either using this building or, or even having a building at all. But what I do hope happens is, is that the level of significance that we have in regards to this place being discipleship central lowers. And the emphasis that you have of your home being discipleship central is raised. And I mean that unequivocally. Because I think for most of us in this room, we have it backwards. We actually think that coming to this place is where we primarily help become disciples of Christ. And home kind of assists us with that. Am I tracking with that? Is it just me or we pretty much think that? But the scripture says, no, 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 no. Home is discipleship central. And any other place, this building, other gatherings, only assists us with that job. And maybe, just maybe, we get this example from Jesus. Slide. Because it's in a house that most of his healing, it's in a house that a lot of his teaching was done. It was in a home that, I love this, develops a skylight when they didn't have a skylight before Jesus came into the house because some friends had to get one of their buddies down to Jesus so that he could touch him and heal him. And it's in that house that Jesus underscores this truth. Um, this miracle that I'm about to do is on the same level as the miracle of forgiveness that I'm about to do for this man. That happened in a house. It was in a home. 
that Martha found out that sometimes sitting at the feet of Jesus is more appropriate than working for Jesus. It was in a home that Zacchaeus experienced a love for Christ that wrecked his heart and wrecked his bank account. It was in a home that Jesus brought back to life Jairus' daughter. As a matter of fact, we're going to peek into that one through that scripture that's up on the wall. When Jesus went to the house, he let only Peter, John, and James and the girl's father and mother go inside with him. And the people were crying and feeling sad because the girl was dead. But Jesus said, stop crying. She's not dead. She's only asleep. The people laughed at Jesus because they knew the girl was dead. But Jesus took hold of her and called her and said, my child, you stand up. Because her spirit came back into her and she stood up at once. And now I love this. Jesus ordered that she be given something to eat. Now, I don't know if that strikes you a little bit odd, but here's this incredible miracle story. And at the end of it, Jesus says, um, can somebody get this girl a sandwich? Why would you do that? I mean, the girl's just been healed. Let's, let's go announce it to the paper. Let's, let's go shout it in the streets. And Jesus says, get her a sandwich. Why? Because it's just good hospitality. It's just good hospitality. It is no accident. Click to nothing. There you go. That hospitality, spelled correctly, and hospital come from the same Latin word. Because they both lead to the same result. Healing. Hospital and hospitality come from the same Latin word, and they lead to the same result. Healing. You know this. When you open the door to someone, you're sending a message. You matter to me and to God. Now, you may just be thinking, well, I just invited them over for some chili. No. That's not what they hear when they hear that. What they hear when you invite them to come is, I'm worth the effort. Now, combine those two. You matter to me and to God, and you're worth the effort. Hospitality. Healing. What if you could do that for Jesus? Wow. Somebody got to in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 18. On the day before Jesus is about to be crucified, he tells his followers, listen, I want you to go to a place, find a certain man, that's all we know him as, and tell him the chosen time is near, and I will have the Passover with my followers at your house. And he said, yes. Wow. Talk about something I'd want on my bucket list, to have Jesus come eat at my house, my house. Well, here's some good news that can happen on your bucket list. Because remember the words we looked at last week? Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You did for me. Brother, please never doubt that when you are welcoming strangers at your table, you're welcoming Jesus himself. Now, I know that you've got to receive that by faith, but you just received today by faith that Jesus came to be with us in this meal that we just shared a few moments ago. That as we pass the bread and as we pass the cups and we partook of those, those cups and partook of that bread, that Jesus came to be with us in a very special way that he's not at other times. You had to receive that by faith. You participated in it by faith. I'm asking you to believe that God is underscoring for us that when we entertain strangers in our home, when we entertain anybody in our home, we're actually entertaining him. I think that changes everything. But that's not just homology of the New Testament. It's homology of the entire Bible. 
Abraham fed not just the angels, but the Lord's angels in Genesis 18. Rahab the harlot, she houses the, the spies, remember? And thanks to her kindness, her kindred survives, and her name is added to the Lord's genealogy. In 1 Kings chapter 17, man, this one grabs my heart. A suicidal widow is about to prepare a meal for her and her son and then take their lives, I'm guessing. But Elijah the prophet wanders by, knocks on her door, and he says, could, could I have some bread? And she's honest about this. She walks out and says, sir, no, there's not enough bread for anybody but just me and my son. And we're about to take our lives. We're about to die. And he says, will you go in and please make me some bread and make you and your son some bread? And by faith, she took him at his word and did just that. Interesting. Not only did she feed the prophet that day, not only did she feed her son that day and feed herself that day, she kept feeding them over and over and over from an empty jar that held oil in an empty jar that held some grain. How is that possible? Because God showed up in the home. He showed up in the home. Throughout God's story, homology is good theology. Throughout God's story, from Genesis to Revelation, God says the home is a very special place. Don't, don't think a building's a special place. No, it's a tool, but it's the special place is, is, first of all, this home. That's where I really want to be. I want to be here. And Jesus comes announcing that, that we can be the home of Christ. And Paul underscores that in his writings over and over. It's not some temple that you gather at. It's, it's the temple that you welcome him to, to prepare him room. But then second to that home is your home, church. Your home. Now, I need to be reminded of this. I know that you have to be reminded of this, too. Really? My address, 2112 Bluff Ridge? Yes. Your address? Yes. That's discipleship central. Because something unique happens. Something life-giving happens around your dinner table that cannot happen in this cavernous room. In a building such as this, you're looking right now at the backs of heads. Some of you are looking at me. Some of you are looking at the floor because you're asleep. Wake up. Hey, nudge them. But isn't that the way this is? Most of the time, we're looking at the backs of heads here. One person is talking, but you know what? At a home, everybody has a voice. In church services, buddy, we're on the clock. We've got to get this thing knocked out because we've got kids back there in children's church, and we've got lovable children's church workers who need for me to get done on time. And it's moving. But you know what? In a home, you can just kind of linger and just be. I wonder... Do you know anybody who needs the message of you matter and I have time for you? Know any singles that could use that message? Know any young couples who are far from home that could use that message? Any co-workers who could use that message? Any neighbors next door who could use that message? This is, this is just the truth. Some people pass through an entire week without any human interaction with another person. And that's in our church. Some of our brothers and sisters pass through an entire week without any 
interaction with another human being. And God has said, you have the ability to be a hospital for those people by being hospitable to those people. Maybe that's why to be an elder in the church, 1 Timothy says this. Go ahead, one more. That for someone to be a leader in the church, to help make decisions for the church, to help plan for the future of the church, he must be given to, say the word, hospitality. Right up there with being able to teach. Right up there with having a, a great reputation. Right up there is hospitality. That's significant to me. Now, I want to say this. I know for some of you, <laughs> your home is sanctuary. Your home is your safe place. Your home is your, your place to get away from the world. That's why you have a moat with crocodiles around it. You want to be left alone. I get that. Trust me. I do people all the time. And I cherish those times when I can just be alone in my home. I don't want to change that for you completely. But listen to me clearly. I do want to change that for you regularly. I do. Rather than just barricading the door, I'm asking you to open your door at least once a month. At least 12 times a year to someone that's outside your home and your family so that your hospital can be a hospital in someone's life. A few basics of what that might look like. Number one, it might begin with you beginning with prayer. I think that probably is the best place to start. And here's the prayer I want you to pray. I didn't put it up on the screen. Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> Can we all say that one together? As for me and my what? House. We will serve the Lord. Now, instead of interrupting, we'll do it together. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Will you? I got one, yeah. Will you serve the Lord with your house like you do your money? Like you do your time? Like you do your wife and your kids and your job? That's what we're calling each other to as a church. That together as one family, we believe together that our homes are discipleship central. This isn't just a truth I was hoping to teach in 2017. It's one of the truths I couldn't wait to get to so that we as a family could make a difference in our community maybe like never before. Now, some of you are using your house. Man, good on you. Yay, God, you be our examples. You be our leaders. But some of us aren't. I mean, we're just not. We just, we just don't really think it would matter much. I'm hoping that you hear from the Word, not just Jimmy's enthusiasm, but from the Word. It matters a lot. It is discipleship central for God's kingdom. And so I'm inviting you to please begin with prayer and saying, Lord, how in the world would you like your house used for your purposes? Like I invite you to use my car and my wife and my kids. How would you like us to use your house for your purposes? And then, guys, if you're married, listen to your wife. Mom and dad, if you've got kids, listen to your kids and see how maybe he responds to who needs to come next. Number two, issue a genuine invitation. 
when you invite someone to come, whether you pick up the phone or whether you walk across the, uh, the office or whether you go next door and knock on the door, issue a genuine invitation. We'd love to have you come for some quesadillas, fill in the blank. You pick a night this week, Thursday night, whatever. We'd love to have you come. Issue a genuine invitation, and here's why. Because invitations to most of us are gold. Because we weather so many daily rejections. The doctor, who we can't work us in. The kids didn't call. The mechanic is booked. Then you invite somebody over, and all of a sudden they hear, You have room for me? Yeah, we do. Because you matter. I'm telling you, that can change your life. Number three, give them a warm welcome. I know this is going to sound really corny. But listen, when you know they're coming, look for them. And I'm not saying do something stupid, but, but be at the door. Or maybe go out into the, the, if you hear the car drive up, you go out to see them. Let them know you're glad they're here, not. Anybody there? Thought I was invited? Have you ever had that happen before? Now, I know stuff comes up, but you know what? It, it means something when someone's there to greet you and start welcoming you as if one of God's kids just walked in. And they just did. Number four, run out of time. Offer them the best of what you have, not what you don't. Offer them the best of what you have, not what you don't. I don't hear this as, hey, we've got to go spend a lot of money on this. Oh, heavens no. Let's do quesadillas, not quiche, okay? Let's do a sandwich instead of a steak. Let's do our best to have uh, just some mangoes maybe instead of a lamb with some mint juicy stuff thing, you know? I'm taking my cues from a lady by the name of Mama Janet when it comes to hospitality. We went to Ghana, and she invited us into her house. She was there to greet us. And I mean, she was out there on the other side of the wall of her little compound she lives in to make sure that we went through the wall and came into her little house. And I mean, little, maybe 400 square feet. Maybe. Some of you have master bedrooms bigger than that. I'm telling you, the, the room that we sat in, eating our mangoes and drinking our fruit juice, was the size of some of your pantries. The size of at least one of my bedrooms. This wasn't her living, it was her living room. And you know how she treated it? Like it was a palace. And it was. Like it was a palace. Like it was any home in the richest part of our town. She welcomed you and introduced you to family and served you what she had. Not what she didn't, what she had. And it was a joy. And I'm telling you, I... I experienced healing that day. It had been a trying day and some stuff had been going on and I walked into Mama Janet's house and that big old smile of hers and, and that hospitality that she was giving us just filled my cup. I'm taking my cues for how to be hospitable from a Ghanaian woman by the name of Mama Janet who lives on less than $1,200 a year. Share the best of what you have, not what you don't have. I think if we ever wait to satisfy that Martha Stewart voice in regards to our home, we'll probably never have someone in it. You know the voice. The one that says your house has to be perfect, that the towels have to be scented, the appetizer's warm, and the toothpicks in cellophane, or no one's welcome. 
If we wait till everything's perfect, we're never going to issue, issue an invitation to anybody. So never forget that what is common to you probably is a banquet to somebody else. You may think your house is small, but please hear me, church, to a lonely heart, it is a mansion. You may think your living room is a mess, but to a person whose life is a mess, your house is a sanctuary. You may think that the meal is simple, but to those who eat alone every single night, I promise you, red beans and cornbread taste like filet mignon. What's small to you is large to a lot of people. So, next, open your door, but can I also encourage you to open your circle? Next slide. Jesus said this, when you have a banquet, invite the poor and the cripples and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Almost any one of us can have someone over to our house that we know, that we really like, that's on the same socioeconomic level as we are, the same color as we are, the same religious background as we are. But it's a little bit of a stretch to open up your home to someone that has less, is struggling, isn't doing so well. And you know what? A lot of you in this room are saying, wow, you just lost me, buddy. I can barely have people over, and I'm not having people over that I even like or even know, let alone people I don't. Well, you know what? I would say the same thing if it was just up to me. But the good news is, Jesus' Holy Spirit is in me. And what I can't do, he can. And he says that when you do, oh, you'll be blessed. The Greek word for hospitality actually comes from two terms. I said a while ago, the Latin word, hospitality, meant something. Well, the Greek word comes from two words that mean this. Love and stranger. Put them together and you get love a stranger. All of us, all of us, with Jesus' help, can help connect those with him that would have no other possibility of having it happen at all if it wasn't for you. I'm going to end with this piece of writing from Max Lucado. He says, Consider the genius of God's plan in regards to the home. The first generation of Christians were a tinderbox of contrasting cultures and backgrounds. At least 15 different nationalities, 15 different nationalities, heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Jews stood next to Gentiles, men worshipped with women, slaves and masters alike sought after Christ. Question, can people of such varied background and cultures get along with each other? We wonder the same thing today. Can Hispanics live in peace with Anglos? Can Democrats find a common ground with Republicans? Can a Christian family carry on a civil friendship with a Muslim couple right up the street? Can a divergent people ever get along? I love how he concludes this. The early church did. Without the aid of sanctuaries, church buildings, clergy, or seminaries. They did so through the clearest of messages, simply the cross. And the simplest of tools, a home. God bless our home. Father, we love you. And if you brought someone here today who needs some hospitality, um, we want to offer that. We want to do what we can today to connect with people through any means necessary. 
they need an arm around them, we want to offer it. If they need a, a meal, we want to offer it. If they need an ear to listen to, to be listened to, I, Father, we want to offer that. But, Father, we come this morning offering the greatest gift we could offer to anybody, and that is your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's our favorite kind of hospitality, that some way, somehow, they could get cleaned up with Christ's blood and have the Holy Spirit move in. And if you brought someone here today who needs to do that, please don't let them stand there and just sing a song. Let them come find me or one of our elders and step into your family right this moment. And Father, if you brought someone here today, it's a brother or sister, and um, there's just some things going on in their house, maybe the house that has an address, maybe the house that's their heart, and they need someone to put their arms around them and to be hospitable, to bring some healing. Would you please let us be that for each other today? But we're going to worship you and we're going to celebrate you. Would you move among us with your spirit? We ask us humbly in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's praise him, church.